Okay. Yeah, I got the word last week. How many people ask about me? And I appreciate it. We, you're very much loved, Cliff. Very much loved. Okay. Now let's talk about this piece of paper I passed out. Uh, down at the bottom, you need to <laughs> understand this chart is from my reading and may be totally incorrect. <laughs> it was gathered from several sources. So anyway, um, <clears throat> there, depending on where you are and what discipline you're following, history is divided into a lot of different subjects or types. We, we find, we follow biblical history, which is, which is in the book. Uh, <clears throat> others follow just secular history, which is historians and what we've heard from, from those places. Uh, here, it. you need one of those. Yes, All right. <clears throat> and... <clears throat> You've heard Ice Age and this kind of thing. Well, those are archaeological periods. And, and people a whole lot smarter than me have put these dates and so forth together. And then what I've done here is uh, the ar archaeological period, the assumed dates, um, and then we've got some rulers, and we'll talk about that. That's really where we're going to go today and the biblical times, uh, post-flood, which is right after the flood, and then the patriarchs and the sojourn in Egypt, and then the exodus and the conquest. Uh, these are, you know, 200-year periods, 300-year periods, 150-year periods, so they cover a lot of stuff. Um, you see my note one down there, uh, in the sojourn in Egypt, it says, I can find no agreement in my reading who Pharaoh was when Joseph was in power in Egypt. Uh, <clears throat> this, <laughs> this came up, I believe, Larry Harris, you asked a question last week, and I said, well, I need to see if I can find it. I couldn't find it. <laughs> I couldn't find where they agreed. You know, a lot of people had uh, had said something. Go ahead. The reason I, I raised the question, and this will be my terms, I just wonder when the district Pharaoh died, the trees and wells in the bad Pharaoh came along. Yeah. I think most people say the bad Pharaoh is this guy. I said A-H-M-O-S-E. That seems to be, uh, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I follow a lot in uh, what Dallas Theological says, and they agreed with this, that guy. Um, the two books that I'm using for this study, uh, one of the B series from Warren Wiersbe, and then the Holman Old Testament Commentary for, for Exodus. <clears throat> It'll be my two readings. I'm leaving Swindoll and Stedman <laughs> for a while. And uh, we'll I'm be using those, and these these guys talk about that, and they are in some agreement uh, that this guy Almos 
um, I don't know how to pr pronounce these names, but any, anyway, that that pretty much guy was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to run some scripture today, and I've listed them up there at the top, and so you, you need to look. So Moses wrote Exodus. That's almost universally agreed. And turn to Exodus 17. Exodus 17, 14, as, as you, you have there. Okay, we're going to run a little scripture. We're going to run a rabbit or two as we look here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And this is, this is a... Um, they came up against him in the in the wilderness. Go back to chapter uh, verse one of seventeen. In the wilderness of sin, they were there. Uh, <clears throat> they needed water. Verse six says, "You shall strike the rock so they'll eat, uh, drink rather." And then Amalek, verse eight, came to fight against them. Okay, <clears throat> you know the story where when Moses held out his hands. They prevailed, uh, and when his hands were uh, down, they didn't prevail, but they did prevail because they propped up there. Anyway, in verse 14, he says, write it down and <clears throat> write this in a book that everybody may know what, what's being said. Now, <clears throat> uh, we're coming back to Exodus, but let's do a little run in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Just go to the right. First Samuel um, chapter 30. <clears throat> this is a very significant scripture too here. First um, Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. It ha happened when David and his men came to Zidlak on the third day. The Amalekites had made a raid in the Negev. And they took captive some people. Skip down to verse 5. Now David's two wives were captive. Uh, verse 6, it distressed him and some of the people. And so verse 8, he went to the Lord and said, Shall I pursue this band? And shall I pursue them? And he said, Yes, go. And David, <clears throat> David conquered them. So um, that's, that's that. That, that happens to be 400, about 440 years, give or take, from the time that God said in chapter 17 of Exodus, I'm going to blot out their memory under heaven. All right, <clears throat> let's look at verse, um, um, let me see. 
they made the, there was a few that escaped. David slaughtered from twilight, verse 17, uh, evening except not a man of them ex escaped. This is interesting to me, just, I'm, I'm warped like that way. Uh, there, uh, chapter 30, verse 17 of Samuel, 1 Samuel. David slaughtered them from twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400. <laughs> except 400 men who led, fled on camels. Okay, now go to, to First Chronicles. Keep going to the left. Kings to the right. Excuse me. First Chronicles chapter 4. Verse 43. Um, and he talks about uh, the sons of Simeon and, and so forth and so on. But in verse 43, they destroyed the remnant of the Amalekites who escaped and they have lived there to this day. So, one more time, we're coming back to the fact that God keeps His promises. It might be, it might be 440 years, but God keeps His promises. So that's, that's the only little rat trail I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, chase this morning. Okay, when was it written? It was written around 1445 B.C. And I've got three scriptures there, and I've got an error in the Acts 13. That should not be verse 10. It should be verse 16 through verse 23 if you just want to change that. Uh, but let's go back up there when it was written um, and look at Acts 7. Now, you should know from our study in Acts what happened in Acts 7? Anybody know what happened in Acts 7? Really? <laughs> this is Stephen's defense or Stephen's sermon. And man, he nails it, you know. And he, let's start with verse 20 of Acts 7. Uh, it was at this time that Moses was born. He was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set aside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in the learnings of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power <clears throat> in, and in word and deed. When he was approaching the age of 40, he entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And just when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance and oppressed and struck, struck him down. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But one of them who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? 
Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? Verse 29, at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So it's just one more time, Scripture is backing up Scripture. In the New Testament, we see this state. Stephen gives this step-by-step um, narrative of what happened um, when, when uh, Moses was there. And we'll pick all this up in a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> when was it written? 1445 B.C. plus or minus. Um, let's go to 1 Kings 6. Again, 1 Kings to the right. 1 Kings 6. Sam Samuel. Kings. Now this is, I've often told you, I, I probably not have never had an original thought, but I use every resource I can get. Uh, so, so this is not original with me. Um, so, First Kings 6. Now it came about 480 years after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign, in the month of Zeb, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So here in Kings, they're dating when they came out of Egypt, uh, 480 years. And the people who study these things says that this is another truth that lines up with the 1445 BC that this this um, this is another um, mark that this is when it happened now judges now go back to the left you got judges chapter 11 and this is a little confusing but but we'll we'll get there judges chapter 11 do you remember art teaching about uh, this guy, J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. -H. How do you pronounce it? Jephthah. Jephthah, okay. Uh, Art kind of compared him to a, to a tattoo-wearing uh, motorcycle-riding rebel, you know, and he was a half-breed, so to speak, and they didn't want anything to do with him, but he was a mean dude. <laughs> and yet, they, when they got, when they needed somebody to come help them, they went to this guy and said, hey, we need your help. And he was smart enough to take it and, or, or say, I'll be glad to do what I can do. And so he went to the sons of Ammon, and he was telling them what was going on. Now, look at verse, verse 26. While Israel, this is him talking to the king here. While Israel lived in Hashbon and its villages and Anor and its villages and all in the city that were on the banks of Anor, 300 years. Why did you not recover them within that time? And so 
he, he's saying that the children of Israel lived 300 years in, in those cities. And the scholars, again, have taken this 300 years and have worked back, and they come up with the same date, about 1445, when the exodus took place. So that's, that's where we are in that. Then we have one more reference uh, in Acts 13, Acts 13, 16, which is our history book of the New Testament, and yet uh, it's all about it's all about redemption, as we've said from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation. It's a, it's the redemption of mankind. So here we are in Acts 13, and let's look at. At verse 16, uh, Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. For about a, a period of 40 years, he put up with them in, in the wilderness. I love that. He put up with them in the wilderness, and that's what he did. When he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, and that's when Joshua led them in there, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all which took about 450 years. So here's another date that, that Scripture is nailing down, and the scholars are telling us again that this exact this corresponds with the date of 1445. Now, that's, uh, that's according to, to, this, <laughs> to this commentary here. Uh, <clears throat> but what I'm trying to, to establish here is when the Exodus was. So now let's go back to the book, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Now these are the names of the son of Israel who came out of Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household. Last week I gave you a chart that said had Jacob's wives, their sons in birth order, and then I highlighted the ones who had a division of land. And we'll, this will all come into play as, as we continue to study. But here are the 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. <clears throat> 70 in number. <clears throat> okay. Uh, turn over just a minute turn over to chapter 12 we'll get to this in, in, in more in more uh, detail <clears throat> uh, remember remember when 
in Jewish thought, it, it was just the people who could fight. It was just the men, and that's who they numbered. If you were 20 years old and up and could fight, that's who they numbered. So in this case of 70 coming out of Egypt, that was, that was from wives and children. That was a total family that went down there. They came out a nation. And in verse 37 of chapter 12, we have now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses and Succoth about 600,000 men on foot aside from children and a mixed multitude. So they went down there 70 people. They came out 600,000 men on foot, children, wives, and a mixed multitude. And we'll talk about this when we get there, but some people have put the number at about 2 million people. Uh, so when we talk about going across the Red Sea, which is a high water mark for every Jew, even today, when you talk about going across the Red Sea, <laughs> You're not talking about 70 people. You're talking about 2 million. Now, they tell us that the March for Life yesterday in Washington, D.C. was 100,000 people. And if you watched it on TV, there was myriads. All right, multiply that from 100,000 people to 2 million. And we'll get into all of that as we go into Exodus you know, especially when we start talking about the tabernacle and camping around the tabernacle, it took a great bunch of land. And my engineering background kicked in, and I, I've done some calculations about how much land it took. But we'll get to that when, when we go there. Okay, so verse seven, uh, 5 again. And all persons came from the loins of Jacob were about 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died and all his brothers and, that, and, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied, became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. <clears throat> it's, it's no, <laughs> it's no secret to us who follow scripture to know that God's hand was on Joseph. We went through that story in the last two weeks. Uh, he went, he had favor at Potiphar's house. He had favor in the jail. He had failure, uh, favor as prime minister of, of, of Egypt and all the family. They, they put them out in, in, uh, in the land of Goshen. I talked to CW as we were leaving last week and he said something about it. I said, have you ever heard the phrase, lands of Goshen? Have you? Yeah. That's where it came from, you know. Out there in Goshen, which is, we'll, I'm going to give you a map in the next week or two that will show you where, where they were. So they grew into this mighty nation there because God's favor was on them was God's favor was older. Verse 8, and we're fixing to turn a corner here. Now the new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And the best we can find out 
uh, is that this it was this guy A H M O S E, which which several uh, people that I, I looked at uh, agreed that this guy was probably the pharaoh at that time. Verse nine, he said to the people, "Behold, the people and the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we." Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. You know, human nature hadn't changed. It, it appears to me if you're fearful of this bunch of people, you'd want to make friends with them. But that's not what they did. They said, let's, let's put them under more bondage. Let's, let's make them taskmasters. And this is where the bondage of the children of Israel really starts. Now they were there, they were servants, they were doing what they, 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 they needed to do to uh, exist. And this Pharaoh says, uh, they're gonna be so big that they'll uh, join themselves to somebody else and we'll be in trouble, verse 11. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities and but the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor vigorously they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and in all kind of labor in the field all their labors which they rigorously imposed on, on them um, this could be the time that they they built the pyramids. I, I don't know, but, but they had them building brick for whatever reason. Verse 15, then the king spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one whose name was Sapphira and the other was Pua, and that's my pronunciation of them. Verse six, he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, See them on the birth stool. If it's a son, you shall put him to death. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives say to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not, <laughs> I'm going to take some liberties like Pastor Jim does, they're not like you, you, you Egyptian women, you know. They give birth before we can get there. <laughs> so <clears throat> I thought it was interesting what, what uh, Warren Wisby said about this particular case. He said, with so many Jewish women bearing so many children, it's likely that Sapphira and Pua were chief midwives and had others working under their supervision. The Egyptians were masters of organization and probably had a 
Bureau of Resident Alien Obstetrics. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's some little humor there, but it, it looks like that Pharaoh knew these two ladies who were uh, the head midwives, and so he went to them and appealed to them and told them what to do. Uh, because remember, this is not 70 people anymore. It's a massive group of people. All right, <clears throat> verse 21 again. Verse 20, so God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and came very mightily. Uh, some of the commentators, well, these two guys that I read said that, that they didn't get any retaliation from Pharaoh, not that, that scripture tells us or secular history tells us. He kind of let it go, let it be and let it alone. And yet something else did happen as we'll see. He didn't discipline the, the, the midwives is what I'm saying. Uh, 20, verse 21, because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Uh, then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So Pharaoh changed his strategy from letting the, the midwives kill him. He wanted the parents to kill him. If you have a boy, throw him in the Nile. Chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived, bore a son. When she saw uh, he was beautiful, she'd hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, excuse me, she'd hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket, covered it with tar and pitch. She put the child in it and set it in the reeds on the bank of the Nile. His sister stood by at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Uh, you read horror stories today about, about the occasional mother killing her children or whatever else. You know, we had this group in Texas, a lady in Texas drowned seven children in a bathtub. You just can't fathom that kind of thing. And a mother's love in particular, you know, um, it's been said and that probably the closest thing we can get to God's love for us, God's agape love for us, is a mother's love for her child. It's just, it's just that strong. So when this decree came out, um, this, this is Moses we're talking about, his birth. Uh, the mother, you know, the decree was throw him in an aisle, and I suppose some people did it. This mother couldn't do it. And, and she took a basket and, and fixed it with pitch and, and put him in it, and he floated. And you can see, uh, I can... I can visualize in my mind, if you grew up in a Baptist church like I did, you could see when you were in elementary uh, classes, you could see those posters. You know what I'm talking about? The posters where 
where Moses is being put in the in the Nile in a basket. Uh, so we're going to pick up here next week, uh, uh, and we'll go from there. But but I, I, the whole book is how God is taking care of the of the children of Israel as they're coming out of Egypt. It just didn't happen. It was all God's design, and it's it's the way He planned it. Um, so we'll we'll go from there next week. Okay, uh, I'm letting you out way too early, so let's talk a minute. Anybody got anything to say? Any questions? Any comments? Yes, see them. Uh, you can work in That's true. That's true. I when uh, okay. I'll, I'll, when I get there, I'm I'm using the city of Matthews, North Carolina. Some of my some of my things I'll will share with you when when we get there. But it was a great it was a great bunch of people, and they didn't have pickup trucks and everything else to move them. So. It, it was a mighty, mighty, mighty group of people, and it took them a long time. Anything? Ken? If you have a subscription to Netflix, I highly recommend Patterns of Evidence, Exodus, produced by Timothy P. Mahoney. Okay. It's a phenomenal documentary. Okay. Patterns of Evidence, Exodus. Exodus. It's on Netflix. Okay. I haven't gone that route yet, but maybe I should. Anything else? Bill, back some years ago when I was a freshman at Wake Forest, that's old Wake Forest at Wake Forest, North Carolina, before the rentals gave them millions of dollars and moved it to Winston-Salem. But uh, as a, well, no, I was a sophomore when I was at that time, Wake Forest was a Baptist college, a Christian university, not like it is now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we had, we were required to take two courses in in religious studies in, in order to get a BS degree, and uh, we had a professor who was an authority on the Exodus. I remember his first name, but I can't recall his last name, but uh, he established in all of his research, he had a list of degrees that long, uh, the, the exact date of the Exodus. And it was something that every student had to know, and it was the first question on the final exam for that course is cite the ex date of the Exodus. <laughs> when was it? I don't remember. <laughs> 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 I was 19 years old at the time. Nine, 19 years old, and how old are you now? Uh, that, was, 90. that was in 1948, I think. 1948. <laughs> but uh, you didn't pass the course if you didn't. <laughs> get that one question right. Did you pass? 
Did you pass? Huh? Did you pass? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think all of us said have gone to Art. 1948, you. <laughs> a few years have passed by. Yeah, Art mentioned that last last time war when he was going through the last book of of Exodus. I mean Genesis. He said that most of us that went to a Christian school, uh, you had to take. Uh, in his particular case, he had to take Bible and he had to take Old Testament survey and New Testament survey, and uh, I did the same thing. So anyway. Okay, we'll pick up here, Exodus. It's beautiful. It's, 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 it's a story, and you just need to read forward and see where you're going and where, where it is. In our Velt and I Bible reading we do every day, we're now getting to the end of, of Genesis. And uh, <laughs> we've just gone through this, and she said, was it Reuben that left him in the in the pit? I said, no, Reuben, he wanted to get him out. I said, we just went through this. She said, yeah, but I, I'm confused. But anyway, so anyway, yes, maybe. If we believe that God was the one who placed Moses and, and Pharaoh and Joseph and you know, everything revolved around what God wanted and his will was done. Do we believe that that is still being done today? And is God putting our president kings where he wants them? Um, I'm an NCIS fan. <laughs> and Gibbs says, there's no such things as a coincidence. <laughs> so I think the Lord is in control, has been and will be. Okay, let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for these sweet people who love you, who love one another, and who love this church. Father, we thank you that a long, long time ago Moses wrote, he, you told him to, and he did, and we have the account of the exodus that we can hold in our hands. And Father, I thank you for that. So Lord, let us learn from history and let us see the providence of God and his leadership and his, his promises don't go unanswered. And Father, we thank you for all you've allowed us to have. So bless us as we go from this place. Be with every word spoken, every song sung, every prayer prayed. And may you receive honor and glory in and through it all. And when we leave here today, we can say it's been good to be in God's house. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen. I'm <laughs> <laughs>